All right, so Ephesians 3, chapter 3, not chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verses 14 through 19. Uh, you can just flip a few pages back in your Bible or find it again on your smartphone. But let me uh, read this for you, and then we're going to uh, begin our sermon. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. All right. So this is uh, Palm Sunday. It's not really what I expected Palm Sunday to be like. Uh, probably not what you expected Palm Sunday to be like. I was reflecting as we were singing uh, the opening song, which is, if you've been around Calvary for any length of time, you know, uh, probably the past four or five years, that's been the opening song, or at least one of the opening songs. And we have the kids parade in, and they wave the palm branches, and they circle all through the sanctuary. We have to do it for like the same song for like 10 minutes because the five-year-olds lose their way and they can't find the door and whatnot. And no one pays any attention to the song because we're all watching the kids. But today, there were no kids to watch, and so we had to sing the old-fashioned way. But I was thinking how different it is this Sunday, Palm Sunday, compared to previous Palm Sundays. But here we are, Palm Sunday, and uh, we have been pressing through our sermon series, All Things New, the story of the Bible and the healing of the world. And here on Palm Sunday, I decided to push pause on our sermon series and to take a moment and reflect directly on the current situation that we're all facing uh, here with the pandemic. And we have had sermons that have kind of gestured at it. Pastor Johnny uh, brought it in as a major point of application in uh, the sermon last week. But we haven't had a kind of a, a coronavirus sermon yet or a pandemic sermon. So I, I thought maybe it was appropriate uh, to do that. We had a little bit of space in the sermon series, and uh, so I wanted to, to take some time to do that today. But I wasn't exactly sure kind of the angle in in talking about the coronavirus and what the Lord would have us say. We're all experiencing this pandemic in so many different ways. Some of us are particularly attuned to the health considerations here of the pandemic. And that, of course, is the leading edge of the sword, as it were. Um, many of you have heard uh, Paul Poy, one of our Calvary congregants, uh, was hospitalized uh, with COVID-19 maybe a week and a half ago, uh, is uh, downtown and is stable, uh, but is still sick. And so I encourage you to be praying for him, to be praying for his wife, Anne. He's the only one uh, that we're aware of that has contracted COVID-19 uh, here at Calvary. There are a few other people that maybe have some similar symptoms, but they haven't been tested. They haven't been uh, hospitalized, haven't needed to be hospitalized. So it's hard to know, of course, in some of these cases. But maybe some of you are particularly attuned to the health considerations. Maybe you work in the medical field and not only in this time of quarantine can you not quarantine away from people with COVID-19, but you're actually having to work with people who have COVID-19 as part of your, part of your job. And so maybe uh, as things continue in the Chicago area to heat up, that becomes more of a concern uh, for you. 
some of us aren't so much concerned about the health considerations of the pandemic. We're more concerned about the financial considerations of the pandemic. And jobs are being cut. We see the unemployment rate going up. We know of uh, folks here at Calvary whose pay is being reduced by a certain percentage. Some of us are being furloughed. You know, we keep our benefits, but we're basically sent home without pay. Hourly workers are missing their regular hours and income. Business owners that I've talked to here at Calvary are considering layoffs and cutbacks. Of course, those are always hard decisions to make. The stock market, if you've been watching it, has taken a pretty big hit, and maybe you were planning to retire this year, and now that's all a little bit up for grabs, trying to figure out uh, what the coming months or year is going to look like with your portfolio. And then there's others of us who aren't so much concerned about the health considerations or even the financial considerations, but we're just rolling along at home, feeling a bit removed from the crisis and the health and the, the pandemic, the panic feelings, but we're just plain tired of being cooped up at home. It's like we've been on a staycation for about two and a half weeks too long, right? And we just kind of want to get back to work and to get back to life as normal, Maybe uh, it, it feels a little bit like those last couple weeks of summer if you're, a, if you're a stay-at-home mom where you just want the kids to get back to school, except we're act actually at the last couple weeks of school and about to begin the summer. So, right, like we're, we're, we're on the wrong side of that, right? And we're heading into this time of when our lives are just pretty disrupted. And so we're feeling a little bit out of our uh, normal rhythms and routine. Maybe you're predominant fear is not panic or concern, but kind of irritability and annoyance. And uh, you're just off your game. Maybe that's particularly true if you're an extrovert and you're cooped up at home. So whatever your situation, I think it's probably safe to say that the vast majority of us are experiencing some varying levels of discomfort uh, during this season. Perhaps the only ones who aren't dismayed are all you introverts out there who are breathing a sigh of relief that finally you can stay home all by yourself and not feel guilty about it, right? But other than you introverts, the most of us, for most of us, this is not the ideal. And it's not the ideal. We weren't created by God to live cut off from each other, displaced from our productive work and under perpetual home quarantine. That's just not the sort of life that God created for human beings to experience. So as we are kind of being forced into this season of those things, it's going to feel uncomfortable and disquieting. So as I began to prepare for this sermon last week, in anticipation of today, I wasn't sure how to jump in to this topic. And I started writing a couple things, and then I pulled it back, and I wasn't getting anywhere. So finally, I had to clear my head. I got alone and uh, with the Lord, and I asked him, Lord, what do you want me to say to your people on Sunday? And I don't pretend to be infallible in interpreting uh, the Lord's will or getting words from the Lord, but the first words that almost immediately came to my mind when I prayed that prayer were the Lord saying to me, tell them that I love them. And right on the heels of that uh, was this first scripture that came to mind, Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, which we've already read then this morning. So I don't have a long, heady sermon for you this morning. Uh, perhaps you can think of this a bit more as like an extended family chat with scripture. 
Here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to reflect on Paul's message to the church in Ephesians and church at Ephesus about the fatherly love of God that's found here in Ephesians chapter 3, 13 through 19. And then I want to bring that message to bear uh, and encourage our hearts with it in the midst of this pandemic. All right, so on to our passage. Ephesians 3, 14. Paul begins here in our passage by acknowledging God as Father. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, he says. The idea of God as our Father may seem pretty commonplace. If you've been around church for any length of time, you've heard God referred to as Father. And so it may just seem normative to you, but it's actually a unique emphasis of the New Testament. The Old Testament saints, if you've ever kind of paid attention to this as you've read through the Old Testament, or if you've read through the Old Testament, the Old Testament saints did not primarily conceive of God as their father. They thought of him as their Lord. They thought of him as their creator. They thought of him as their king, their master. God was sometimes referred to as the father of Israel. But I can't think of anywhere in the Old Testament where God is said to be the father of an individual person. That just isn't how they thought of their relationship with God. And the other major religions of the world also don't teach or emphasize the idea of God as father. So Islam does not. And then the two major Eastern religions teach that God is an impersonal force, Hinduism, or a great void, Buddhism. But neither one of them think of primarily God as father or teach of God as father. So the idea of God as father is unique, is is not just a unique biblical contribution, it's a unique contribution of Christianity. It's something that Jesus taught us. So as I said, those of us who have been Christians for a long time, or even if we're not Christians, but we're familiar with Christianity, we can lose sight of this and take it for granted. But Paul follows in the teachings of Jesus, and he refers to God here as Father. This God that we worship, this God to whom we bow the knee, the God from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, the God that we petition, the God who made all things, the God who sustains all things, the God in whom we live and move and have our being, the God who is the maker and giver of life, the God from whom all blessings flow, the God with whom we all have to do, the God who will destroy the destroyers of the earth, the God who redeems and heals all things, the immutable, inscrutable, invisible, all-loving, all-seeing, all-powerful God, the God of Jesus Christ, this God is our Father. Really, that's so much the heart of the gospel, that God becomes our Father through Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. God is not like a father. Through Jesus, God is our Father. Sometimes I think we can, we can kind of lose sight of that, and we can just think that the idea that God is our Father is kind of a metaphor. But it, it's not just a metaphor. It's the reality. It's the truth. God is our father. My wife and I, uh, our family, 
a number of years ago, adopted a little girl from Ethiopia. So, Maylee, I think you're supposed to be out there watching. All of you parents that are watching with your five-year-olds who wish that you had childcare, uh, I apologize to you that we do not have childcare. Maybe we can work out something next week where you can bring all of your five-year-olds, drop them off at the church, and then you can observe the stream without interruption from the kids. But in any case, that's not the case today. So, Maylee, you're probably sitting there watching uh, with the family right now. But we adopted Maylee uh, a number of years ago. And uh, what, would it, what would it be like if uh, I was out with Maylee and someone saw me uh, taking care of her? I've taken her out to lunch a few times. And someone said, oh, that's so sweet. He treats her just like she's his daughter. Right? Now I would say, no, no, I don't treat her like she's my daughter. She is my daughter, right? God, it's the same thing with God. God doesn't just act like he's our father. He doesn't just act fatherly towards us. He is our father. And then right on the heels of this, Paul goes on in this passage to assert that this God, who is our father, out of the riches of his glory, has rooted and grounded us in the love of the divine family. That's what it means when he makes us his children, when he brings us into the family, when he has adopted us, right? We become partakers of the family life, right? It's not just, in a sense, God the Father and us, right? But we have brought into the Trinitarian relationships. In verses 14 and 15, Paul mentions all three persons of the Godhead. I find that's very interesting here. He talks about the Father, the Spirit, and Christ, all redemptive uh, uh, pieces in our salvation, through the redemptive work of the Godhead, the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we have been adopted into the divine family of Father, Son, and Spirit. So the, the divine family has existed for all eternity, Father, Son, and Spirit, in loving relationship with each other. And when we are brought into the family of God, when God becomes our Father, we're brought into this divine family which is to say that through the saving power of the gospel, we have been brought into God's intra-Trinitarian love. The love by which the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Spirit and the Spirit loves the Father and all that love that passes back and forth between the members of the Godhead, that's the love that we have been brought into. We've been brought into that family we have brought, been brought into the family love of God. So when we were, uh, when my wife and I first got married and we were trying to have kids, uh, it took us a little bit uh, to get pregnant. And so uh, we did, as many families do, we went out and bought a puppy instead as a surrogate child. And so we had uh, this little puppy, uh, Yellow Lab. She was very cute uh, for about uh, six minutes. And then after that, uh, she became very expensive and a lot of work uh, to take care of. But eventually, eventually, we had uh, our oldest son, uh, Jake, and then we had our next son, Nate. And it's somewhere in and around uh, Nate's sixth month, the uh, shine of that puppy began to wear off. And eventually, we moved into a smaller house, and kind of the demands and the busyness of life became such, and our dog was very active and very large, that we weren't able to really take care of her in all the ways uh, that we knew she needed to be taken care of. And so, uh, we found someone that was looking for a dog, a friend of ours, and we gave our dog to this person who then took her into their home. Now, imagine, though, that like when our third child came along, 
Ella, we were like, you know what? Uh, Ella is kind of high maintenance and uh, we're going to find a home for her as well and give her away, right? So we don't do that, right? You can, you can get away with things uh, with pets that you would never dream of trying with children, right? Because the way that we conceive of pets and their place in the home is different than the way that we conceive of children and their place in the home. So pets are wonderful, right? Or can be wonderful, but it, they're, they're, not, they're not the same as children. God's love for us is not analogous to the love that we as humans have for our pets or our favorite plant or our home. God's love for us is analogous to the love that we have for our children. That's the love that God has for us because that's what we are. We are his children. The Apostle John speaks of this in 1 John chapter 3 when he says, how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And then he says this, and so we are. We're not just called the children of God. We really are the children of God. And that's such good news. Think for a moment about why parents so reflexively love their children. Why do parents so reflexively, almost effortlessly, pay attention to and prioritize and love their children? Isn't it because the child is part of the parents? The child is made from the parents. The life of the parents, as it were, has been put into the child and given life to the child. The child has, as it were, the same kind of DNA connection, the same ontology or being, the same essence, the same life force, right? That's why we love our children. We might love children generally. We might be predisposed to children generally, but we love our own children uniquely because they are extensions of who we are. We almost can't help loving our children. And here's the beauty about our adoption into the family of God and God's love for us. He hasn't just adopted us legally. He has adopted us ontologically, as it were. In earthly adoptions, when we adopted our daughter, we couldn't turn our non-biological daughter into our biological daughter. We, we would if we could, but we, 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 we're not able to do that, right? We can only move through the process of adoption in a legal way, right? But God can do this. And this is what Jesus meant when he talked about us being born again. To be born again is to be born anew by the Spirit of God, the life of God, the breath of God into the family of God. It means to become by a miracle of grace, a native and natural child of God, to become, as Peter says, to become a partaker of the divine nature. God's adoption of us, his love for us, outstrips anything that we can accomplish as human beings. All of our parental love, our fatherhood, our motherhood, our, our adoption uh, mechanisms that we have here in this earth are just signs and foreshadows that point to the true adoption that exists in God. 
God doesn't just declare us to be his children. Listen to this, please. He doesn't just declare us to be his children. He makes us his children. The old uh, patriarchs, uh, the, the, um, uh, the church fathers uh, would speak about uh, divinization or deification of humanity. And this is what they were referring to. They were referring to this idea that when God places his spirit inside of us, he deifies humanity. He brings us into the family of God, not in the sense that he makes us eternal gods. That's not the idea, right? But that he, he gives us a share in his own divine nature so that we become partakers of who he is. There is a jealous, protective fierceness to God's love. We are not merely his servants or his subjects or his beloved pets. We are not members of his religious party as though he had some kind of political party that he was recruiting people uh, to, to like uh, hold yard signs or pass out yard signs. We are his children and he loves us as his children. The 19th century poet Gerard Manley Hopkins, uh, he wrote a poem about the the fatherly love of God. And, and here's a couple of stanzas, uh, a, couple, a couple lines from that poem. He says, God, lover of souls, swaying considerate scales, complete the dear creature, oh, where it fails. And he says this, being a mighty master, being a father and fond. God is fond of us as our father. He loves us as our father. And then Paul goes on to say in verses 17 through 19 that this paternal love with which God loves us is the beginning, the middle, and the end of our lives. We are rooted and grounded in God's love at the very beginning of our life in God. It's the foundation, the beginning of who we are in God, but it's also the breadth and length and height of our growth in him as we expand outwardly and increasingly become everything that God intends us to be as human beings. We are filled out by this love. And then his love continues to grow in us until it takes us to the end goal of all existence, loving union with the fullness of the God who is love himself. That's the beauty of our life with God. His love is what gives us life in the beginning. His love is what moves us throughout our lives. And his love is what is waiting for us at the end. The whole of our life with God is a life of love from beginning to middle to end. All right, so in light of the love of God, let me say a word here about how I think that intersects with the global pandemic that we're all facing, particularly those of us that have are experiencing anxiety. Whether your anxiety is coming from concerns related to your health or potential health, concerns related to your finances, your employment, maybe concerns related to just being cooped up in cabin fever and kind of restless, Maybe it's just the general uncertainty in the world and what's to come. We're anxious because we sense a threat. 
That's what anxiety is. That's where it comes from. There's some threat that we perceive in the world and it produces in us anxiety because we're preparing to meet this threat in some way. Anxiety is an awareness or it's a, it's a bodily response. It's a psychological response to a threat that we perceive. And it makes sense. Anxiety makes sense. It's in part of the way that God has made us because we... We should respond to threats as they come. And certainly a global pandemic qualifies as a threat, if anything does, right? We can't just will ourselves out of anxiety. We can't just tell ourselves, oh, stop being anxious, like flicking on a light switch. And quite often, as I said, anxiety can be useful insofar as it alerts us to dangers that we're facing. But anxiety needs to be kept in the perspective of God's fatherly love. I once heard someone define anxiety as imagining the future without Jesus. I thought that's a very nice, simple statement. I want to tweak that just a bit uh, for our sermon today and say, imagine anxiety is imagining the future without God's fatherly love. When Jesus was teaching his disciples in his famous Sermon on the Mount, he told them not to be anxious. He said, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or what you're going to wear. Don't be anxious about all the kind of the needs of this life. And then he gives them this reason why they're not to be anxious. He says to them, don't be anxious because your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Your heavenly father who loves you with an eternal love, who knows and sees and cares for you, who loves you as his child because you are his child. He is not indifferent to your plight. Whether that's the plight, the plight of the coronavirus and the pandemic, or whether it's some plight that you're facing that's unrelated to it, or maybe it's a combination of all of the above, nothing has befallen you or will befall you that will slip past his watchful fatherly eye. Jesus goes on to teach that not even a sparrow can fall to the ground apart from the Father's will. And then Jesus adds, and you are worth far more than sparrows. Don't be afraid, Jesus says, because God is watching over you to care for you. So whatever your situation this morning, God wants you to remember that he is looking out for you as your Father. He loves you. He cares for you. He knows what you need. This global pandemic has not caught him off his guard or unaware. He is not scrambling like we were to try to put a live stream together. He knew exactly what was needed. He has all the resources of, of the entire universe at his disposal to care for us. So let me encourage you to rest in that truth this morning. If you are fearful for your health, then be reminded that God is your father and he loves you. If you are anxious for your finances, then be reminded that God is your father and he loves you. If you are irritable and tired of being cooped up at home and restless, then be reminded that God is your father and he loves you. God never promised to spare us from all suffering and pain. So don't hear me saying that because God is your father, that means you're never going to have to experience suffering and pain. That certainly is not the case for God's children. It certainly was not the case for Jesus. 
And if it wasn't the case for Jesus, we shouldn't expect that it's going to be any different for us. No good father ever spares his children from all suffering and pain. It's just not what a good parent does. Indeed, it's the poor parent who never lets the child face hardship. That's how you ruin children, is you, you, you protect them at all costs from any hardship. Hardship is how we learn. Sometimes the lessons that God allows to come into our life seem extreme. They seem excessive. We don't think we need the lesson. But God is as wise as he is loving. He doesn't promise to spare us from suffering and pain, but he does promise to spare us from unnecessary suffering and pain. And that's what it means to live in faith. It means to believe that our Heavenly Father loves us, He's watching out for us, and He knows what's best and what we need. We are facing uncertain times. We don't know what's going to come here in the weeks and months to follow. But God does know. And that's why we're okay. That's why it's okay. Because God knows. I read earlier this week that the most frequent command in Scripture is fear not or don't be afraid. I didn't go check that myself, but I take it on good authority that this is in fact true. So often when God shows up, and you can go back and just kind of see this all throughout, when God or God's presence or angels show up, almost you see this in a Christmas story. The first thing that they say is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And I don't think it's so much a command. It's not, it's not a mandate, right? As much as it's an assurance you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. That's what God is gently saying to you this morning. You don't need to be afraid. I am with you. I care for you. You are my child, and I will not let you go whatever might come. So be at rest this morning. Be at peace in your Father's loving care. This is Palm Sunday. Jesus rode into Jerusalem to save his people, to save ultimately the whole world. And the reason that he rode in Jerusalem is because God had sent him, because your father and my father had sent him to bring home his children. So on this Palm Sunday, be encouraged and be reminded that God loves you. He's watching over you. He cares for you. And he is working all things for good in your life in this season. Father, thank you that you love us far more than uh, we're able to love you in return. Thank you that when we were trapped in darkness without God and without hope in the world, as Paul says earlier in Ephesians, that you came and you made us your own. You've brought us into the divine family, that we are loved by you, that you love us with the same love that you love your son. God, it's, it's mind-blowing to think of. Help us to rest in that truth, to take 
comfort in that truth, to be at peace in that truth, to trust you in that truth. Lord, thank you for Jesus who has made us your child. It's in his name we pray. Amen.